All right, good morning, church. Good morning. It's a bit dark out there. It's a bit dark in here, but it can still be a bright time, an illuminating time uh, for us this morning. If you see on your guide page, it says we're supposed to be dedicating a child this morning. You heard that last week, um, but the Santos family isn't feeling very well, so the dedication for Liliana is going to be postponed. So if you came here uh, just for that, for the baby, well, sorry, you're going to also get to hear a message uh, as well, which we're about to jump into. In fact, as I've been uh, saying the last couple weeks, I've been excited to start this new series about evangelism. Specifically, this series is going to be evangelism like Jesus. Evangelism like him, like our Lord. If you've seen the movie Troy, not based on the city at all, um, but it's based on the story of the, the Trojan War, and Brad Pitt plays the character Achilles. And at one point during the movie, he refuses to go out and fight any more battles. And his younger cousin gets frustrated about that, secretly takes his armor, takes his helmet, and runs out into battle. And the troops follow this younger cousin out into that battle. And the younger cousin dies during that battle. And when the commander goes and tells Achilles what happened, Achilles is furious and says, why did you follow him out there? And the answer was, we thought it was you. He looked like you. He even moved like you. We thought it was you. The goal for the end, by the end of this series is that we look, act, speak, think, pray, be a little bit more like Jesus. Do you want to be more like Jesus? I do. In every aspect of life, including this part, this, the, the mission we're called to, evangelism, sharing the good news about him to those who don't know him. And so, I want us to be a little bit more like Jesus. It says in Romans 8, 29, that we, we will be conformed into the image of him, of Jesus. So, who better to look to when it comes to this topic of how can we be little e evangelists than looking at the greatest evangelist who ever lived, Jesus himself. John 1.14 says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You are going to hear that verse many times in the next two months. And I have a, a small challenge for you. I want you to know this verse. I want it not just something you hear, I want it in here. Even, even challenge yourself a little bit, even by next week, I want you to know this verse. But certainly by the end of these two months, I want us to know this verse about the incarnation of Jesus and specifically how he came into the world. We're going to look at every message throughout this series through the lens of John 1.14, and I'll explain that in a little bit. Usually, we go through a book of the Bible, and we go passage by passage, and about this part of the message, I will say something like, now the main idea of the passage is this, and the roadmap, the direction of how we break down the passage through it is this, this, and this. Today, 
is going to be a little bit different, and the series is going to be a little different for that. I'm going to get to the roadmap for the entire series in a little bit. So, evangelism. Evangelism. What do you think about when you hear that word, evangelism? I think, I won't speak for everybody, but I'll try a little bit. I think some of us, we hear that word and we get nervous. We get afraid. We get anxious. And others of us, we get excited. We get thrilled. We're motivated. Tell me more about it. How can I get better at this? What can I do? And then, and then maybe for the majority of us, maybe it's a mix of both. There's some fear. There's some dread. There's some nervousness. But there's also some excitement. So let me just talk about that for a minute. For some of us, we hear the word evangelism and we get scared. We get fearful. What are you going to ask me to do? Where are you going to ask me to go? Who are you going to ask me to talk to? Are you going to ask me to talk to strangers? Maybe I'm not even really confident talking to people that I know well. And are you about to tell me that I have to go up and, and talk to every stranger that I meet about the gospel? Some of us get afraid or nervous because we think, who else are you going to have me talk to? Like family, maybe that's even more you know, anxiety-ridden for you than talking to uh, a stranger. Some of us hear evangelism and we think, formula. Are you going to ask me to have this you know, process of question and answer that I'm going to have to bring to somebody where I have this thing memorized of start with this question, end with this question, this is what the salvation moment looks like, and we, is that what you're going to ask me to do when we get nervous? Some of us get nervous simply because of the pressure of it. If I'm going to be someone who goes and shares the gospel, shouldn't I know like, a lot of answers to questions they may have? What if they ask me this? What if they ask me that? Some of us get crippled to even try to share because we, we're afraid that we won't have all the answers. And through this series and looking at the life of Jesus, I know we're gonna, we have a lot to learn from him and what evangelism really looks like. So, some of us have fears. Some of us also are just simply excited to start this series because, because sharing the gospel can be fun. Sharing the gospel can be exhilarating. And we think, we have the best thing in the world. If you, if you really grasp what the gospel is, what it means, and if you have a, a real living relationship with God, we know there's nothing better, period. So let's, let's be able to go out and share with people. And we get excited about it. So let me talk about myself just for a minute here. I would fall in the category, I think of most of us, of both fear, anxiety, dread, anxiousness, and excitement at the same time. I'm both of those things. Why do I get anxious about sharing the gospel? For a bunch of reasons. Sometimes I get anxious because I put too much pressure on myself and I try too hard. And I try to take conversations with people into a spiritual direction either too quickly or I just try to get them to talk about about the Lord or to hear more about their story when they're not ready to, but I'm just pushing and I'm, and I'm putting pressure on myself that sometimes God doesn't want me to, to have that pressure on myself. Other times, it's because I think that I'm not trying hard enough. Maybe a lot of time has gone by and I haven't seen God work in someone's life or have an opportunity to share about him and I wonder, maybe I, maybe I do need to be pushed a bit here and, and encouraged and urged to share. And that can be, that can be you know, anxiety-ridden. Another reason I get nervous about evangelism is because I don't know 
how people are going to respond. And it can, be, it can be challenging when people don't respond the way I hope that they will respond, by either ignoring me, making fun of me, you know, or just not wanting to talk about it or, or whatever. It can be discouraging. It can be really discouraging sometimes to share my faith. And so those are some of the reasons that when I think of evangelism, the words fear, anxiousness, anxiety can come up. But there's also a lot of excitement in me about evangelism. Because, as I said before, we have the best thing in the world. And when you, when you, when you have the best thing in the world, you can't help but want to share it and want other people to know about it, especially the people you really care about. Of course you want them to know God. Of course I want them to know God. And the times where the conversations do go well, it's thrilling. And I think all of what God is doing in this conversation, in this moment, or throughout multiple conversations with people, it's, it's incredible to think about what God is up to and that I get to be part of it. But what I need to be reminded of again and again and again when it comes to evangelism are a number of things, but I'm going to mention at least two here. One is I need to be reminded that I save nobody. I think all of us need that reminder again and again, that it is God alone who brings salvation. It says in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 3, that we plant and we water. You think about it's a gardening analogy for our gardeners, right? You cannot force life to come up out of the ground. <laughs> you can plant that seed, you can water it. When, what that means for us is we can share the good news of Jesus through our words, through our actions. Maybe it's the first time someone's encountering that, and that's watering. That's Sorry, that's planting. Planting. Or maybe it's the hundredth time they've heard about Jesus, the hundredth time they've seen someone act the way you do with, with, with patience or with love in a way they can't, they can't understand why, and that's watering. But it's God that gives the increase. It's God that gives the life. And I need to be reminded again and again, God alone saves. And so I think sometimes we put pressure on our shoulders that are never supposed to be there. That's one reminder I need. Another reminder I need is the fact that God loves me, period. He loves me if I've talked to someone today, yesterday, last week, last month, or if I didn't. The song we just sang a couple songs ago, he just keeps running after me. He does. It's an unconditional love. And sometimes I believe the lie that if I haven't shared recently or if I haven't, that God somehow loves me less. Or he's about to kick me out of the house, out of the family, if I don't see someone converted in the next month or something. Those are lies. Those are lies. If you came to me today and you said, Pastor Tori, I've been a Christian for 30 years and I've never shared my faith, how do you think I would respond to you? Do you think I would say something like, how you should be ashamed of yourself? <laughs> do you think I would do that? No. I would say, how, how brave of you to come up and to want to talk about this? I'm, I'm proud of you for acknowledging that. I see that God is working in your life right now to even to, for you to want to talk about this and bring this up. And for, God to, to, for you to see this change in your life, where God, knowing that God can work through you to reach others with the gospel. It would be something like that, okay? God loves us unconditionally. That's the truth. So, I need to focus on, on him with evangelism. We need to focus on Jesus. John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, 
full of grace and truth. On the night before Jesus died, he prayed in John 17. He prayed that his disciples, that's us, would be sent into the world as he was sent into the world. And then before his ascension in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, he commissions, he commands his disciples, as you're going, make disciples of all nations. This prayer of his and this command of his equally applies for us today. We are Christ's ambassadors. We are sent by God as Jesus was sent to proclaim the good news of Jesus. So the question for us can be something like, how do we do that well? And that leads us to this series. How do we evangelize like Jesus? So a little bit of an overview of the, of the whole series, of the next two months, is part of my goal for this morning to give you. Pastor Paul, the lead pastor of North Adams, uh, Terra Nova, put together some really good notes uh, for an overview for this series, and so I'm going to do a little bit more reading than I usually do, just because it's so beautifully written that I was like, I can't make that better, so I'm just going to uh, share some of it. So as we go through this series, here's what you're going to see. We're going to walk through several true stories of how Jesus interacted with the lost in the Gospels. We're going to look at how Jesus interacted with the lost. And we're going to have two focuses. The first one is about the beauty of who Jesus is. Not just what he did, but who he is. We're going to look at the beauty of Christ. I'll talk about that in a second. And then secondly, we're going to look at the example of how Jesus lived. What can we learn from how he evangelized, of how he interacted with people. The beauty of Jesus, the example of Jesus. And in the example of Jesus, there'll be three categories of presence, grace, and truth. So first, the beauty of Jesus. Throughout this series, in each story, we're going to look at Jesus, as we always do, week after week, Christ, as the big E on the eye chart, the one we lift up each week. We're going to see the beauty of him, his gospel, which will show us or remind us of his beauty. And I hope that as we go through this series, it will be a little bit like looking at old photos or Facebook memories and recalling the early days of falling in love. Why? Because when our hearts are captivated and satisfied, we naturally evangelize. Because what we love we laud the relationships you've had or have, that you really care about that person, you love that person. You can't help but talk about them. You just can't. It comes out of you. What we love, we laud. So our first step is going to be to rekindle the affections for our Savior, for Jesus. That's the beauty of Jesus. Next, we're going to look at the example of Jesus. We want to also be shaped by him, by him and learn from him. He shows us what a perfect missionary life looks like. And again, if we're going to be sent into the world as he was sent into the world, let's learn from the best evangelist who ever lived. Let's, let's look at Jesus. So what we're going to do, starting with today, is we're going to look at this verse, John 1.14, where it started with his ministry on earth, the Incarnation. And then from there, we'll explore the various encounters he had with individuals and with various audiences of the lost in order to see what were the principles, what were the patterns 
that we see again and again in Jesus' life that can help inform us here and now? What are the principles and patterns that we can take into our lives, our cultural moment, to the people we know and don't know yet? How can we be incarnational? In short, we want our hearts to respond to Jesus and our lives to reflect him. So, let's start with John 1.14, the incarnation. What does it say? This is the third time you're hearing it. You're going to hear it a lot more. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Think for a second, dwell for a second on the beauty of Jesus that's described in this verse, in the incarnation. This is Jesus, the word of God. God, the Son. We have a hint of the mystery of the Trinity, of the Godhead in this verse. It says, who comes from the Father. Jesus, the word of God. God, the Son, has always come from the Father. God has never been without his word. We had a a hint of this in Hebrews 1. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He has always come from God. The fancy theological term for this is eternal generation, always. And Jesus was sent into the world from the Father in the incarnation when he took on flesh and became human, fully God, fully man. And we, John says, have seen his glory, the unique glory, the unique splendor of the only son of God. Think about his beauty for a second. What motivated him to come in the first place? to incarnate, to take on flesh, to live among us. He loved the Father so much that he came. He loved his people so much that he came. He loved his world that he made so much that he came to stomp out and destroy the works of the enemy and renew what he had made but was lost. He loves the Father, he loves us, he loved the world so much that he came. Before we talk to people, before we try to live out the gospel, it's so important that we don't miss the big picture here. It's out of love that God came in the first place. And let love be the motivation for our missional lives as well. The beauty of Jesus We also see in John 1.14 the example of Jesus. How did he come? This verse gives us an answer and reveals some of the principles and patterns that we will see underscore all of Jesus' ministry. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. There's presence. He was full of grace and truth. So here are those three words. What do we learn from the the example of Jesus, how he came into the world? He was present, and he was full of grace, and he was full of truth. 
presence, grace, and truth. I am convinced that every single person in this room has a lot to learn from Jesus about all three of these categories. Because the reality is, we are going to be lopsided in one of these categories more than the other. Some of us are, are not fully full of grace or truth, because no one is other than Jesus, but some of us are pretty good at, the, at grace, pretty good at presence, or pretty good at truth. But we're lacking a bit in one of the other, one of the other categories. We have a lot to learn from Jesus in this. And you'll hear next week as Pastor Dennis Moore goes through these three, these three categories of presence, grace, and truth and the importance of the fact that the gospel lives in the middle of those. Jesus was full of both grace and truth and Jesus was present. So the roadmap for the rest of this series is going to be looking at the examples of how Jesus interacted with various audiences, including those that wanted to listen to him, those that didn't, those that pursued him, those that were more of a, a passive encounter, those that hated him. I don't know if I already said that. But examples of him encountering the different audiences with presence, with grace, and with truth. Every time. So, that's what we're going to see. And as we see him encounter people full of grace, full of truth, present with them, we're going to find some common patterns and themes throughout this series. And I'd like to give you a list of what those patterns are, what those uh, principles are, so that, that you can be thinking about them and, that you'll, and so that you'll better notice them as we go through them. And I actually added one that I forgot to put on this list, kind of important, the first one I'm going to mention, and that's prayer. As you go through the examples of Jesus interacting with the lost, prayer is a common pattern that we will see. Prayer. An unceasing presence with God. Yes, Jesus would take times to get away from everyone and just be present with God because presence has to do with our, our relationship, our presence with God, and also with those around us. And his awareness of God, prayer life with God, both on his own and when he was around people, informed and shaped all that he did everywhere he went and what he said, prayer. I think I like to put percentages on things. If you were to ask me something like, how important is prayer when it comes to evangelism? I would say something like, I think it's 85% of it. To be an effective evangelist, you got to pray. When his disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, would you teach us how to? They didn't say, teach us how to evangelize. They didn't say, teach us how to read the Bible. They said, teach us, Lord. Not that those aren't important, but... Teach us, Lord, how do you pray? How do we pray? I have a note on my wall reminding me, it says something like, if, if you want to live a life that matters, if you want to love people, if you want to love God, if you want to make disciples, if you want to do anything, let prayer be a huge part of your ministry. We see Jesus' presence with the Father through prayer as a consistent pattern through the Gospels. The next common pattern you're going to see throughout these stories is hospitality. Food, drinks, time around a dinner table are often in these stories. Jesus will be hospitable and receive hospitality, both from the religious and the irreligious, from the socially accepted elites and the socially marginalized. That's what you'll see. Food, 
dinner table, such a big part of evangelism for Jesus. And so let it be for us as well. Prayer, hospitality. Next, this pattern of questions. Jesus had a lot of questions. We'll see him engage with the lost by asking questions. And he doesn't just ask questions. He leaves room for a response, for people to think and to respond to those questions. And he doesn't just jump to the next thing. He listens to their responses. It's part of presence for him. It's part of grace, of letting people explain where they're coming from, what they think, what they believe, what their experiences have been. He asks questions and he listens. I think maybe too often we get really preoccupied with getting people saved rather than actually meeting them where they're at. The best way to get to know what someone actually thinks, believes, where they're coming from is to ask questions and listen, like really listen. We see him ask questions. The next pattern we're going to see through this series is what we're calling the long game. Rarely will you see in these examples of Jesus' encounter with those who don't know God a moment of salvation right then and there. A moment where there's clear repentance of sin and confession and embracing the gospel. Do we want to see that? Absolutely. But let's notice in these true stories how often Jesus let people walk away. He let them walk away to consider what he said or what he asked. You won't see a forcing of a faith moment to happen. He plays the long game, allowing true conversion to happen in God's timing. Some of these patterns we see, prayer, hospitality, questions, the long game. Here's one a little bit more difficult to explain. Prophecy. There are examples of Jesus revealing his divine nature by knowing the thoughts, intentions, sin patterns of people when he, quote unquote, shouldn't know them by any kind of natural means. They didn't tell him. And so no one else told him. Sometimes first encounter, we'll see it at the woman at the well in John 4, John 2, the calling of Nathaniel. He knows things before he's told them. God reveals them to him. Here's where some of the, you know, one of my prayers throughout this series is for us to be encouraged and motivated by the, by the life, the beauty and the example of Jesus and not at times getting maybe a bit crushed by the fact that we're not Jesus and we will never be Jesus. We're being made like him, but he's God and man and we're just men and women <laughs> um, and we don't have all of the gifts of the spirit and we, we don't know all of what God knows but we see how he uses this the information, what he knows about people, to draw them to God. And sometimes knowing things he shouldn't know by any natural means. So one of the questions for us is, does this, does this gift of prophecy have anything to do with us today? And I know there's mixed ideas, mixed opinions about the answer to this question. But as a church, we believe that God continues to give gifts to his church. And so may there be times where maybe as you're praying or in the middle of a conversation with someone, you get an idea about them. You have, a, you have some, some information that you don't really know where that came from. 
and you might, in a graceful kind of way, mention something. Hey, does something? I just does this mean anything to you? I think some of us have have used the gift of prophecy without even knowing it. <laughs> we don't. We haven't called it that necessarily. It's the people that come out and say, hey, I'm gifted with this, that sometimes gives me pause. Because I think there's a reason where Paul will say, don't despise the gift of prophecy because of how easily and how often it can be misused and misapplied and can hurt people. I know some of us have experienced that. I've experienced that. And I think our tendency is to want to throw out the whole thing. But instead, as a church, here's what I'm asking for us. Be open to what God wants to do. And if God wants to give us gifts to be able to supernaturally love people, it's what the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, 14, some of the gifts of the Spirit for the church, sandwiched with, the, with love, it has to be the motive for all of that, but we don't want to throw out all of what God may want to gift, gift to his people. Let's be open to what he wants to do. And look at how God, and look at how Christ used that information to bring people to the Lord. It's described in 1 Corinthians 14 that prophecy should encourage and console and edify the people of God. So, that's another common pattern we see in the life of Jesus with evangelism. Prayer, hospitality, questions, the long game, prophecy. Next, story. Jesus will utilize the power of stories or parables often to convey truth, to invite contemplation, and to bring conviction at times. He'll tell stories. And I think this is an invitation for us to not be so afraid maybe of using our imagination when it comes to evangelism as well. Use the arts. Use stories, movies, books, podcasts, our creativity to reach people today with the good news of Jesus, and we can learn from him. How did, he, how did he do that? And he invites us to do the same. Story. And then the last one I'll mention, some of the common patterns you're going to see through the series in the life of Jesus are disruption and distraction. Notice how often, not just in this, we, we, we're picking eight or nine stories, and there's more, but how often during, at times even during Jesus's Already planned, like someone asked him to go help someone, you know, can you go raise my servant who's sick? And on the way to do that, he's disrupted by someone else asking something else. What I'm saying is, often you will find something unplanned happen in his life. A missional opportunity that was not on the schedule, it was not part of the agenda, it wasn't planned five months in advance, and Jesus was sensitive to the people and to the circumstances that were placed in his path for that day. One of the reminders I like to tell myself is to love God and love the people he's put in my life today. Pretty easy, right? Very often, and I'll give more details about this when we look at some specific stories, the numbers might shock you a bit about how often the ministry, the engaging with with. With, with people and, and administering and caring for people, it would happen at times that were not planned. And I would love for us to be open for divine appointments from God as well. It can be freeing to think this way as well, that maybe we can, we can 
put a little less pressure or stress on ourselves to plan out opportunities to share the gospel and how difficult that can be for any large group to do that together. It can be really challenging. But, in, but to, do, to try that at times, yes. To plan those things, yes. But also be very open to what God, what the Holy Spirit, the people he's putting in our life today, the opportunities today that you might not have thought would be there. As going about his life, Jesus was sensitive to the people and circumstances going on around him. He modeled well the, as you're going, make disciples. These are some of the patterns. These are some of the themes we're going to see going through these true stories of Jesus. And what I'd like to do is uh, end the, the overview, the review of this sermon series with the, the, the artwork, the graphic artwork that, that uh, was done for it. At Terra Nova, by the way, this is, one of the, this is one of the reasons I was drawn to Terra Nova when I was in grad school and visited the church one time. In the hallways, I saw the posters of the different sermon series that the church had gone through. I saw the artwork during the series they were doing, and they explained, and which is still very the same thing today. Our artwork, it's not just meant to look good, look pretty, or be beautiful, which it is. But it informs for us what the Word of God is teaching. The artwork does not inform the Bible. The Bible informs our artwork and helps us it helps bring to life some of the, the different things we can learn from, uh, from the book of the Bible we're going through or the series that we're going through. And that's, that's true for this artwork as well. So why did we, why did we come up with this? Uh, Pastor Paul, when he was, when he was praying uh, in, a, at a, in a retreat a couple months ago at a monastery, he was admiring the stained glass in the church he was in. And he had the idea that stained glass could be a big theme of the artwork for the Evangelism Like Jesus series, and I'll explain why in a second, which I just think is just beautiful. But he had this idea, and he shared this idea with someone named Anna Arneson, and she put together the, the artwork uh, for us. So, how does stained glass speak of evangelism and mission to us? Here's why. First, light. If you look at a building with stained glass during the day from the outside, glass appears dark and dull. But stained glass, as we know, is beautiful when light shines through it. It is Jesus' light within us that shines through us that can make our lives and our words attractive to the world. Yes, we are fragile and stained, but we are also made beautiful by his light. Light is one of the reasons why art, the artwork of stained glass is utilized here. Another reason is the unity and diversity of stained glass. Stained glass uniquely draws together diverse colors and shapes to convey a singular message. No one piece of stained glass can adequately tell the whole story or capture the beauty revealed by the whole. In the same way, God uses multiple people of diverse backgrounds, diverse experiences, multiple diverse people to tell his one gospel story. And this diversity will allow people from all tribes, all tongues, and nations 
to see and find their way to faith in Jesus. We have differences. We are not uniform. And that's good and that's right. Some of us, evangelism is going to look a bit differently in my life than it does in yours, than it does in yours, than it does in yours. And that's good and that's okay. And that, that, it's part of the way God brings us together to be, to be a light and to, be, to share the gospel with a diverse world. Yes, we are fractured, but we are also bound together into one holistic picture of Jesus. So light, unity, and diversity. Here's the third reason, story. If you know uh, some information about church history, often, during different parts of, of different centuries, the only access some people had to the Bible was story through stained glass, either because they were illiterate or because they didn't have access to the scriptures in their language. And Jesus would often employ the use of stories, parables, when reaching the lost. Stories are powerful. And likewise, these stained glass hands are telling us a story. Jesus came down to earth to live and die for us. He invited us to believe in him, reaching down to us. And when we believe in him, reaching up to him, he fills us with his light, and we shine from the inside out. We then can reach out and reflect his light to others. Light, unity and diversity, story, Another aspect of this artwork is the line from left to right. It reveals the ongoing nature of evangelism. I want us to think of evangelism a bit less as a one-time moment and more of a process, as we see in some of these stories in Scripture, a lifestyle. And then finally, awe. Awe is a recurring response, response to Jesus and the gospel in scripture and in life. Likewise, awe is a common response when one takes in beautiful stained glass. Stained glass creates a seemingly impossible mosaic of color and light from irregular, fragile, fractured pieces of glass. And only God could do the same thing with our lives. These are some of the reasons that stained glass was chosen for the artwork, for this series of evangelism like Jesus. So, I would love for us, as we go through this series, to do two things. One, look at Christ, the beauty of Christ. Be captured again by the love and the beauty of Jesus, of the word made flesh and his glory, his unique splendor. And then let's be present with God, with those around us, full of grace, full of truth. Let's learn what that looks like and what that means, and what we can, how we can grow in those areas in our lives. Because the truth is, if you're his, if you've given your life to Christ, whom he calls, he sends. He has sent us into the world to speak of him, to share him with our lives, with our words. And we'll do that a lot better together. 
I'm going to pray for us in a moment. Prayer will be available in the, what we call the prayer corner after the service. If that's too long to wait, ask someone around you. You can come ask me. Uh, my wife, Anna, we'd love to pray for you. Maybe, there, maybe this, this area of, of following Christ, of evangelism, is something that you know that you would, you would just love prayer for, for whatever reason. But if there's any other reason at all that you'd like prayer, people will be there to pray with you after the service. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for loving us, loving the Father, loving this world so much that you came, that you took on flesh, that you took on the weaknesses, the frailties of humanity, that you came and you lived and you died and you rose. And then you sent all those who would believe in you to go and to proclaim by word and deed who you are, what you've done, who we are, what the future holds, the good news of you, Jesus. And God, I know that that brings us fear, that brings us anxiety, that brings us dread at other times, or maybe at the same time, it also brings excitement and a thrill and an adventure. God, some of us, are fixated on examples of evangelism in the past when it was done, maybe when it was done well or when it was done poorly, when we've done it well, when we've done it poorly. And we can get just confused about how to do it well and how to follow you well in this area. And I pray, Lord, that you help us by the end of this series as we look at the example and the beauty of Jesus in your word that we would be even just a little bit more like him. I pray, God, for those of us that have given up on certain people that we've been praying for for a while, to know you, to love you, to be yours. I pray, God, that you re-motivate us. Help us not to give up as you don't give up. I pray, God, for those of us that have never shared our faith before, that you would inspire, that you would show them Jesus, and that you'd work through them both to will and to do this work of evangelism this opportunity and responsibility of evangelism. And I pray, God, as a whole, as we come together, both diverse but unified, that you'd help us as a church body to reflect the light of Jesus, that we wouldn't help but want to share who you are, your glory, your beauty. Help us, Lord, know how to do that, how to do that well, to be looking, to be praying for opportunities and then to go through with it and to trust you with the results. Thank you, God, that we're yours no matter what, no matter what we do, no matter how well we've done or haven't done in this area following you, Lord, that you'll never let us go, that because of your life, death, and resurrection, Jesus, we can have confidence and hope every day and for the future. So guide us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.